Namotasa Bhagavato Vardo Samma Samudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Vardo Samma Samudasa Namotasa Bhagavato Vardo Samma Samudasa I will awaken quickly for the sake of all sentient beings. May all beings be established in wisdom, compassion, and the self-illuminating aware mind. See, there's any questions? First of all, I like I, I like the questions because they're surprising sometimes. Um, this is kind of embarrassing. Why? Um, because I have a lot of projections. Mm. It, it's around um, the uh, experience that I've been having around the hungry ghost. Mm. Um, so. Uh, yesterday at uh, lunch, we're given soup for dinner, and I was—we were given like about a third, of, third of a cup of tomato soup. For me, it felt very minimal. <laughs> so I went and just inquired, and then I was told that there wasn't enough to go around, but it's thick and it add water. That's fine. So I go up to my room, and then I find. And Anne's been very compassionate and bought two jars, and now we have three jars. And then I'm feeling bad because I think, well, maybe somebody didn't get a jar of soup. And, um, and so I've been struggling with this idea of feeling impoverished. And both my impoverishment, possibly, and other people's impoverished. And I don't know how to work with that both on a relative <laughs> And an ultimate, because um, you know, I tried to sit and just allow the sensations to dissolve into the mind, and then another part of me, I went to meditate on all those beings who don't have food, and then I struggle with, okay, yes, it's mind only, but there's how do people who don't have food, without these teachings, survive? If it's just Millions and millions and millions do, don't they? It's it's partly it's the it's the approach to insight. This is uh, I'm going to take it from a number. It's a good question. It's a a number of places. So, So let's first of all start with what is important. If you want if you want uh liberation, then the hungry ghost stories and the wants and all that you don't need. You don't need it. Just throw it all away. You don't need to know that level of story. Just, just there's desire, mind, and even that may not even be necessary. But there is wanting, and the mind asks, without really asking, ask a bit, is there any substantial nature to this wanting? You don't have to know why you want. You don't have to know the reasons why. Just the rise and fall, like dewdrops bursting in the sun, or bubbles of want, see it vanish, want, see it vanish, want, see it vanish, want, see it vanish, until it opens up to what's behind it, the veil. What's behind the veil? Openness. Yeah. 
So you have to be very careful. A lot of people are trained to make stories when there's no need to have any stories. And then when you ask about, well, what about all these suffering beings? Uh, it may have nothing to do with that at all, but, but food. Yeah, heart goes out to them. But in this case, uh, look at what's happening to you and realize it's happening to all kinds of beings. For sure. It's interesting that you say that because, uh, or you bring this up because I just reading today, I found an article. I was actually looking at something else and it popped up. This big here article on new research on obesity. And there's been people working for years and years and years. And this, is, this is to do with what you're talking about to some degree and, and why and how people beat themselves up badly. Too thin, too heavy, wanting food, not having enough. You know, think about another way. Let's, if you think about that obesity affects something like 500 million people in the world. One-third of the, of the United States population is now considered to be technically obese. Okay? And it's really growing. It lasts 30 years, it's really grown. Okay? So you look at that and you think, it's all food, right? Food. And you can look at stats and you can see the food and so on. But when you look at it statistically and you look at it with a scientific eye, you'll see, wait a minute, there's all kinds of people that eat the same food. And they don't get fat. Right? I know people who eat, you know, munch on potato chips and they munch on uh, Kentucky fried chips, all this kind of stuff, and they don't put an ounce of weight on, right? Why? So when you isolate it, you'll see it's there must be a genetic component. Extreme obesity has a genetic component. But here's an interesting thing. Why do people eat? Mm -hmm. And when do they feel satisfied? It has a lot to do with taste. You see? We all are different tasters. So some of us have low taste, those tasting, medium tasting, and super tasters. A lot of it has to do with fat and sugars and salts and so on. So for somebody, one person can go like this, Excellent, I feel satiated. Another person has to go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. more potato chip, you know, more and more and more. And they think, wait a minute, because of the 100 years of psychotherapy, it's all about some store. It's all about conditioning and why and why do I do this and why do I want this. But it may have nothing to do with that. Some. But think about it as in terms of taste. It's enough, but it's not enough. What is enough? But trying to figure it out by story isn't going to help. Sensation, direct sensation, watching the rise and fall of phenomena is what breaks it up, because that's all it is. What happens is the desire mind makes a, cont- a continuity story and inflates it, like the universe. You know the inflation theory of the universe? Boom, inflates open. That's where you have to, you know, all of you, and you're, you're, you've been pretty good at it, so they just got caught in this one. But uh, develop much finer, stronger mindfulness, training and mindfulness, so that that story-making and that continuity doesn't inflate. It just stays with phenomena, 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 dropping a phenomena, 
dropping of phenomena, cessation of phenomena, cessation of phenomena, and that's all you need. That's it. All the rest is confabulation, confabulation, confabulation. And where, is it, where does the compassion come in? The beings can't do that. No matter whether they need food or not food, whether they have food or don't have food, that's the important point. That's where compassion comes in, which cuts to the root of suffering. Because you know there's yogis, right? And yoginis who live off almost nothing. Yeah, they're a bit stick and bones, but they live off nothing and they're happy, they're blissful. And they realize they, you know, for instance, Song Kappa. Last four year retreat he did on, uh, how do I know all this stuff? Anyways, on the four, last four year retreat he did on Guasamaja. He, he took a bunch of stu- students with him, 12, I think. And four years in the retreat, and the students said, you know what he's eating in the last couple of years? One juniper berry a day. This is a very highly attained being. This is before he became enlightened. This is a great yogi. You know when they say, oh, Sankapa, philosopher in the book? Oh, he's a philosopher. Yeah, philosopher, but an extraordinary yogi with the extraordinary control of the, of the channels. Eh? Others, they needed two berries. Others, they needed three berries. Others, they needed a whole, you know, container of sampa. They were fine. And some butter and some hard cheese. You see? So the, really the important point is, are you going for insight or are you trying to unravel all the stories that, that are the dream stories of the, of, of the world? No, don't, don't do it. You'll never get through it. You'll just never get through it. So this is why it says in some of the Mahamudra texts, uh, the key is to develop extraordinary sharp mindfulness. Sharp mindfulness. Why? Because that's where the dividing line comes in. Where with mindfulness, it breaks. It breaks. It breaks. Break. Mindfulness busts up the formations. This is classic Abhidhamma insight practice, right? Busts up the formations. It doesn't matter if it's Zogchen, Zogchen or Mahamudra. You have to have that sharpness. That sharpness to be able to let phenomena cease. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you know what I mean by phenomena cease? It's really easy. It's easy. Why'd you pick it up? Just leave it alone. Something wrong? Something going to happen that you have to pick it up? Do something with it? You, you, you see the automatic things like it's like people that stir pots of milk. They just have to stir a pot of milk. Why would you do that? I don't know. I don't know why they stir a pot of milk. You just leave it alone. Leave it alone. So the art of making millet, right, Jamie? Yes. Right, Nicole? Mm-hmm. Is you leave it alone. You don't touch it, and then the grains separate. If you touch it and you start stirring it, it all bunches up together, and you get this thick, gooey, or watery porridge. So the art of insight is leave it alone and apply really fine mindfulness for the phenomena to be as it is. And the second that you touch it, you confabulate it, you you inflate it. And the compassion goes out to beings that don't know that. They confabulate, whatever it is, doesn't matter. So I could go into all kinds of psychological things and all that even the genetics and so on. We don't need to do that for insight. Not for liberation. To make people feel better, yes. 
but not for liberation. So when you don't get enough food and you feel a disturbance, what do you do? Exactly what you did, you look at the sensation. Sensations rising, falling, rising, falling, rising, falling, and the art, the discipline, is stay away from any stories. Stay away from any stories and see the cessation. Don't pick it up. Don't even go there. What do you do? Remain totally at ease, letting all phenomena cease. They rise, let them cease. Dorji Palma. Cut it off. Cut it off. Okay. Training. Got to train in mindfulness. That's why I slow down, walk slowly, move slowly, pick up a watch. Take half a minute, a minute to pick up the watch. And I tell you, that's the way. Everything, everything is done like a snail, slug, slug speed. Slug speed. <laughs> you know, when the slug puts out its antenna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Moves across a road. <laughs> What's it thinking, anyways? Intent, right? It's got an intent mission to get across the road? Mm. Yeah. I always, I always say you need, if for, for a good meditation, you need the, the eyes and the body of a deer. Like uh, Uli and Mariana's deer, that little forest deer. Those big eyes, you know, those big, big eyes like this. You need that softness, that calm, that openness of just gentle, of course, they're not always so gentle, but that, that, like bunny rabbit, that bunny rabbit. And you need the other aspect blended, which is the eagle, or the eagle, the owl eagle. Doesn't budge. It's honed right into the target. Those two. Those two. You have to practice on that, so they come together. Samatha and Vipassana. They come together, so you're like a like a rabbit, soft like a rabbit, soft like a nice little bunny rabbit with big soft eyes open. But the fierceness and directness of a eagle that can just right into the right into the heart of it. That's the art. That's the art. Any others? We, we, we beat ourselves up way too much. And this is an inheritance, uh, I believe it's an inheritance from what was one of the greatest breakthroughs in 20th century, which is psychotherapy. But it's a culture of psychotherapy. And so I help people. It's really need, need, need to be helped. If you're going to do insight meditation, if you're going to help people regular relative level, stories are good. Psychotherapy is excellent for some people at some times. When it comes to insight, no. No. It's one of the most damaging things you can do. Why? Because it blows up things like that. Just blows things up. You don't you don't want to blow things anything up. Don't touch it. Don't stir. Don't stir the millet. There's my there's my pith instruction for people. Don't stir the millet. Don't touch it. 
Remember Nicolina? Don't! What are you doing? Don't touch it! I must stir it. <laughs> it's on the stove and it's got a it's got a ladle. I, it's got a ladle beside it. I must go like this. I always think it's some sort of genetic propensity. You know, I'm not saying women. It's just if it's there and there's a ladle, it's going to be stirred. Don't stir the pot. You don't need to. Leave it alone. Let phenomena be as they are, not as you wish them to be. This is great. It takes discipline. I mean, I know. It just takes it takes training, training, training. Until one day, the cessation is so powerful and strong, you go, oh my God, that's all. I remember one, one, one psychotherapist once. It's fantastic. One summer retreat after another summer retreat after another summer retreat after another summer retreat. One day, uh, practicing, and it's just great. Near the back of the room, he goes, he goes, oh, 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 I don't need to make a story. My God. He just let it be. I said, yeah, hallelujah. He's <laughs> like, oh, my God. Don't have to do anything. This is the art. But in, in uh, for instance, in the tradition of Terawadin, um, Burmese, Thai, this come from the Abhidhamma tradition, you want the minimalist story. What I'm giving you here, which is from mostly from the Mahayana, Vajrayana tradition, is minimalist story. Just enough to raise the question and hone in and let it go. That's the art of contemplation. Enough. Just enough. Read, study, hone in, get the question, get the focus, raise the, the bundle of doubt and leave it alone and let the, the, the wisdom, nervous system, innate mind do the work and get out of the way. That's the art. It really is the art. And then come back and raise the question, get out of the way. In the in the Burmese Vipassana or Burmese it's not Burmese Indian if you want Vipassana tradition is as the Buddha did reduce everything down to the minimal number of key inputs so the mind doesn't get busy and confused that's the art greed hatred delusion that's it you don't even need pride and jealousy greed hatred delusion greed hatred delusion that's all you need to know. You get these short lists, you know, these little laundry lists. That's it. Those are for insight meditation. You only need to carry around very short lists. Otherwise, it gets too complicated, and you're always trying to outthink yourself and stir the pot. The last thing you want to do is stir any prana up. Do you know what I mean by pranas? The winds, the breath. The minute you start thinking about was I, did I, how am I, the pranas start moving, and the mind becomes confused. It, it starts moving like this. You've lost it. This is why we practice in samatha and loving kindness and vipassana. Make sense to you? The minute you go, the minute you go after something, you've stirred the problems. You want to be like a lion or like an eagle, unmoving, like that. And that's why posture is important. Until you can drop the posture, which may be a very long time, posture is important. Why? You want the energy straight. Usually like this, right? Straight. For insight. But if it's too rigid, get too tight. Too loose, too loose. So whatever posture you're taking, you have to feel like you're an eagle, but soft like a bunny rabbit. Okay? Like a bit covered in an angora, you know, like an angora coat. But the eye the eyes and the beak. You know, fierce. It's fierce. It's fierce. But not that fierce, it's just direct.
direct. Okay, any others that might have raised? No? Okay, this next uh, example is dream. Ah, you've been waiting for that. Dreams. Probably the one of the most uh, commonly referred to examples is dream. Dream, 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 all the way through for thousands of years. Dreams, 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 dreams. Very accessible. Uh, major, major practice in, in many traditions. Uh, and so let me begin, and I'm, I may at some point read to you, uh, let me read to you actually from the from some of the original texts the, from the six uh, teachings of Neurosa. It's often taught as the six yogas of Neurosa. It's not correct. The word chas does not mean yoga. It's a different word. That's Naljurma. I don't know why. I mean, it's, it, Evan Wentz in 1917 or night, whatever it was, uh, translated it as yoga, and it's stuck ever since. But it doesn't mean yoga, and it shouldn't mean yoga, and the word doesn't mean yoga. Chose means dharma. It means uh, a doctrine, but really means teaching. Uh, so it's six sets of teaching that uh, are called completion stage teachings that direct the mind to liberation. Does that mean anything to anybody? A few. Okay. So a dream. According to, I'm going to paraphrase, I'm going to alter a little bit. So, According to the Indian, Tibetan, yogic view, yogic tradition of liberation of the human body, dreams arise from the movement of consciousness, prana, prana mind, through the body together with the life-sustaining breath. So let me, let me, let me say that again. So according to the yogic tradition, uh, the dreams arise because of changes in breath mind as it flows through the subtle energy body. Specifically, uh, at night or during the day, when the energy currents move uh, into the throat center, dreams arise. When they go back into the heart, settle down, vanish. That's how it works. So if you're aware enough, and you are aware enough to be awake in the sleep state, sleep arena, you can actually feel the movements go between the different chakras and the different phases unfold. It is true. Okay. As some dreams are said to be the result of the blockage of different channels, the blockage of breath in different channels. Breath is not really the right word. Uh, subtle energy, uh, energies, prana, or in Tibetan, lung, in which this breath is supposed to travel. I don't know why it does. This is this is addressed to scholars. It's supposed to. It's toned down. Just it does. It's okay. It does. It's okay. It does. It does. It does travel. Which are in turn caused by humoral imbalances, hormonal imbalances, energy imbalances. The study of such dreams is of considerable diagnostic importance for Tibetan Indian medicine. So dreams tell you a lot about illness, health, all kinds of things. Very important as a diagnostic tool. <coughs> the use of dreams as a diagnostic tool will not be unfamiliar to readers, Western readers, even though in the Western world it is predominantly employed for the diagnosis of diseases of the mind. From what tradition? Hmm? Uh, Freud. Freud, Jung and so on, the, 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 from the school of Freud. Uh, was it there before? Yes. 
in piecemeal. Little dream interpretation manuals um, scattered, but Freud was the first in the Western world, the first major explorer of what do these dreams mean and systematically, not scientifically because not enough data, but systematically with his clients exploring where do they come from, what do they mean, how are they categorized, and so on, based on a theory of the unconscious. So we've inherited that as part of our culture. Even if you've never studied Freud or, or Jung uh, or all the other members of that team, uh, you will be, just like growing up in a Judeo-Christian society, it's steeped into you as part of uh, culture, whether you like it or not. Even in this case, okay, uh, for, for the diagnostic of diseases of the mind, and even in this case, only by the proponents of specific psychological theories. It's not a really um, scholastic way of saying I'm not going to mention psychoanalysis. Kind of quite, quite something. Could have just said, yeah, in the psycho psychoanalytic tradition. But apart from this diagnostic use, there's another way the Tibetans, Indian Tibetans, use dreams that is not so familiar. And that is a particular relevance for the investigation of dreams as an example of illusion. Now, many beings, especially Westerners, are steeped in dream interpretation and getting in touch with dreams. But we don't use dreams for that reason in the completion stage yogas, which is what this is, because we're focused on insight. So even if you practice and develop lucid dreaming, it still doesn't mean, you know, do you all know lucid dreaming? That's the ability to be a, uh, uh, know that you're dreaming while dreaming and be able to transform the dream activities. That's lucid dreaming. Some people are very good at it, naturally. Some people train in it. Some people get good at it. But it's quite popular today. You can get books in the West on lucid dreaming. But that's not what the completion stage yoga is about. You have to do lucid dreaming, but that's not its purpose, to get far out experiences. It's not, not, not the purpose at all. In the Tibetan tradition, in the Indo-Tibetan tradition, we find a set of meditational exercises commonly known as the six yogas, the six chos, dharmas, of Naropa. So I'm not going to speak too much about Naropa except that he was a, a highly realized uh, saint, yogi, Mahasiddha, in uh, the 11th century in India. And a lot of uh, teachings, a lot of um, beautiful Mahamudra teachings and yogas and traditions come from uh, Naropa. And many of the ones I practiced just finished a three-month retreat where the entire practice um, of the yoga was from the 11th century. It was from Naropa, actually, as practiced by the first Karmapa. I'll skip over that. So in terms of the six, uh, six teachings of Naropa, which he collected, by the way, so in India, there was a teaching of inner heat yoga, chandali yoga. There was teaching of uh, dream yoga, teaching of illusory body yoga, different kinds of bodies of meditational uh, uh, teachings and approaches, which were collected by Talopa, his, one of his teachers, and different teachers. And the Naropa put them under this body of discipline, of completion yogas, called the six 
doctrines, which Marpa, his Tibetan student, brought back to Tibet and made very, very famous. And all, all the schools of Tibetan um, Dharma, yogic Dharma, all uh, practice in one form or another the, the six yogas. Some practice the six yogas of Nugama, wife, consort, sister, mm, hard to know. Okay. <laughs> the heart of the six uh, doctrines or six teachings is called inner heat yoga. Why? It's a completion stage yoga of uh, opening up the central channel and removing the uh, obs- obscuring conditioning habit patterns central yoga so the clear mind uh, arises more frequently, the wisdom mind shines through, it's usually closed off. To, even though energies flow, the awareness of central channel energy as uh, clear, open awareness not of non-subject object is closed off to most beings. Occasionally, a few times in life, it peeks through, but the completion stage yogas are designed, uh, completion stage yogas, completion stage contemplations are designed to bring the energies into balance and um, into the central channel and melt the um, the, uh, the, the hormonal uh, secretions, so they melt. Yeah? And then one gets greater and greater experiences of bliss unity, bliss totality. So the foundation of all these practices is called dumo, or the what's called often the inner heat yoga. But actually, the heat is a byproduct. It, it bliss is more important. It's an inner bliss meditation to bring about tremendous bliss, which eventually becomes the bliss of the mind when it's free of taints or obscurations. Does that make sense? So the more you remove uh, greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy, those taints within the channels, more natural bliss arises, which means there's a greater ability to do what? Hone in in insight and vipassana. Make sense? Why? The mind's then free to be steady, be clear, and feel totality, feel unified. That works. Not going to say too much about that, but the uh, empowerment next week of Hey Vajra is a is a highest yoga tantra uh, empowerment introduction. It's a it's a um, short authorization, and uh, in Hey Vajra, as it is in Demshog and Vajragini, all the highest yoga tantras, there is a lot of emphasis on the inner yogas. Uh, then eventually the practice of um, Dumo of inner inner heat bliss. And then, of course, unifying that with uh, dream yoga and all kinds of other other practices. And he says, a perhaps less spectacular. Well, you know why the the inner heat yoga is spectacular? Because uh, there are beings. It's spectacular because we go, wow, how is that possible? But there are beings. And by the way, there's an exam for this. So if you do three-year retreats or or you go to a specific uh, um, inner heat yoga camp. They have camps in Ladakh and other places. And uh, yogi, yogis and yoginis train in a camp under teacher to do that practice. And uh, one of the tests, we were at a, 
I was teaching at a place in Ladakh at 14,500 feet, Kaspangampa, where every winter the 14 yogis there go out up in the hills. Uh, can you imagine how cold it is in the middle of winter at 14,500 feet? Minus 30, minus 25, minus 30. A nude. And they are to um, either melt snow or they, this is what um, one of them was telling us, every, every year they do this as a test. And then they... Um, dip blankets or dip robes in uh, water and they uh, see who, who can uh, warm them up and dry the blankets uh, first. Okay. So if you think this is far-fetched, this has been recorded, videotaped, and documented and studied by Harvard uh, physiologists. So it's been well studied. You know, people can do this and uh, it's not a figment, and people have been doing it for thousands of years, and some people are extraordinarily good at it. It really does help to be able to do this when you're living in the mountains and caves without heat. It really makes a big difference. But that's not its purpose because it was developed in India. It's for the blissful purification and the opening of the central channel so the mind can reside in a natural uh, openness. Uh, bliss, emptiness. That's what it's for. Okay. Its secondary, its secondary activity is heat. Hmm? Uh, but what does it do for you? Now, when it comes to dreams, you can develop lucid dreaming and the ability to make transformations and, and actually use dream as an illusory body yoga uh, by intention alone. And some people can go, actually, not bad. But until there's more and more purification of central channel, it's not stable. Comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. So the greater the ability to purify the uh, the subtle channel of the central channel before, in front of the spine, gives one greater and greater ability to do these these other. Uh, I keep saying it too. You know, yogas and it's been so long. These other chas, chos, C H O S, these other um, teachings of completion yoga. Are you following what I'm saying? The clearer your veins are, the clearer your channels are, the greater the capacity to actually do completion stage yoga and really become enlightened. <laughs> Perhaps a less spectacular but equally interesting set of practices concerns dreams, what's called milam in Tibetan. These comprise a set of exercises, a set of meditative exercises that are supposed to enable the... And why is that supposed? They do. <laughs> they clearly do. Uh, that do enable the practitioner to influence the contents of his own dreams or her dreams. After a set of preliminary procedures, including visualizations and breathing exercises performed while awake, one is then able to choose the contents of one's own dreams. Choose the contents. So remember what I said today about not getting lost in contents and focusing on the self-aware, illuminating mind? So in dream, dream yoga, <laughs> dream practice, the, what you want to do is, the first thing you want to do is be able to identify that there is awakeness seeing objects in the dream. That's, that's number one. Number two is to be able to turn around and go, ah, there's a cognition of objects. There's cognizing. There is 
knowing objects. What is it that is? Seeing that. By the way, if you can do it in dreams, you can definitely do it during waking. Waking's tough. In dreams is easier? Actually, in some ways. Wow. For some beings, dreams actually easier. But then it has to stick in daily life. So what do you mean by knowing objects? Like you know that that's an object. You actually, in the dream, you go, that's an object. The tree's an object. You know, you, instead of just being a, a vague dream or an exciting dream, a bizarre dream, right? The pillar that turns into a mountain of, of gold, you know that's an object. There is a dream, there is an object appearing to the mind. Very important to do. And you can train that way. How do you do that? Before you go to sleep tonight, during the day, you go, I will... I will realize the following. I will identify while dreaming that there's objects in the dream. I will say, those are objects. Eventually, you can go, oh, that's the mind dreaming. (laughs) But it's actually really good to identify objects, objects, and then transform objects. You see? So one of the ideas is, one of the methods is, take an object and transform it. So to do that, you have to have a lucidity in the dreaming, which is, uh, oh, look at that couch. We're going to turn the couch into a car. That's a guy dream. Oh, <laughs> look at that person. We're going to transfer, transform the person into a meditational deity, into a Buddha. Oh, there's 100,000 beings. They're all going to become Buddhas. This, this kind of learning to do that. Learning, and you set up to do that. Tonight, I will meditate and I will transform trees into wish-fulfilling jewel trees. I will turn a lake into nectar. This, this kind of thing. And you do that. You try You work on that. Besides being able to choose what to dream about, that is, you determine what you would like to dream about at night. You can also do it during the day, too, by the way. The ideal time, you have to find the ideal time. So I'm introducing you to dream uh, practice, so go for it. Some of you have already probably been doing it. Some of you have been taught uh, these dream yogas. But let's keep it fairly simple. the often the ideal time you have to find it for yourself is usually after three o'clock in the morning. I personally, just for this biorhythm, is usually between four and six o'clock in the morning. That's partly why I also don't teach earlier than I do because I'm doing certain practice in the morning, and I like to get them done before I come to class. Right? Otherwise, I might start teaching at seven and have the whole morning. But uh, you have to find your own byron. When is the time where the mind or the consciousness becomes the most lucid and can enter into the dream as an activity where there's 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 awakeness? Make sense? Yeah, you have to find that. For you, it might, for somebody else, it might be two o'clock in the morning. You have to find that period when to wake up, when to come out. So often, for instance, if I'm in retreat, uh, even even sometimes here, I'll wake up and then I often go back to sleep. I'll wake up, meditate, do some completion stage yoga, some some inner yoga, and then 
uh, go back to sleep for an hour and a half or two hours. Sort of, sort of, sort of sleep. So besides being able to choose what to dream about, the dreamer should also be able to transform the content of whatever he sees in his dreams. Whatever he sees is extended. Sees, hears, touches, tastes. Get good at it. So you have to work at it. How do you work at it? Intention of mind. The strength of intent mind comes with more and more purification of the channels. That's why we, that's why we practice Yidam Yoga at the completion stage. Why? We have to get those channels clearer and clearer and clearer and more blissful and more steady and open so that when the dream arises, there's more recognition. That's what it is. And then you'll see it during the day, there'll be much more of that kind of recognition. For example, if he dreams of fire, he can transform it into water. If he dreams of small objects, he can make them big and the other way around. One of the major practices in uh, uh, dream, uh, dream uh, chose, I'll say dream chose, dream yoga, uh, is to, if you have a yadam that you practice, whether it's Vajrasattva, whatever you're practicing, is to transform yourself in the dream into that meditational deity. And the reason is, not only, not only do you want in the day to transform into the yadam, into another body with different speech, enlightened speech, enlightened body, but you want to be able to do that in the dream level. And if you can do that, then there's a much better correspondence between the inner and the outer and the daytime and the nighttime. It becomes more and more seamless. If he dreams of one thing, he can multiply it to make it many. There's another exercise, making many bodies, making many teacups. Many trees. One tree, five trees, ten trees, twenty trees, a hundred trees. This this kind of thing. And by the way, if you don't, if it doesn't happen tonight, please don't dis- get discouraged. <laughs> a lot of people are like that. Oh, you know, I didn't really get it in this retreat. It was like three weeks. Well, people practice it for years, by the way. Years. 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 They practice. Years. Get really good at it. Really, really good at it. If he's afraid of fire in a dream, he will know that dream fire cannot burn. How do you do it? How do you practice fears? Deep, deep physiological fears, anxieties, and so on. What do you do with dream? So you get lit on fire? You go through it. So you you, you say, I'm going, if you're fearful of being burnt in a fire, right, or being burnt up, tonight I'm going to experience being consumed and burnt up by fire. And while that's happening, you experience that there's no um, mind being destroyed. There's just fire. What would happen if you were chased by wild animals? Get eaten! (laughs) You're being chased by hyenas or a tiger or a lion? What do you do? Get eaten, I pray, right? I want to be devoured. I want to experience what it's like to actually be eaten in a dream, eaten alive and dismembered. What's going to happen to you? You're worried? What are you worried? You had enough experience with dreams? Do you you die? Do you wake up in the morning? Even with the most horrendous dreams? So where's the problem? Do you you see? 
Very important. Falling off a building? Airplane crash? Car crash? Whatever, whatever things got you going. Right? Dying? Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Great, powerful practice. The 14th and 15th century Tibetan yogi, he put, I, did, I put that in, he put philosopher, yogi philosopher, one of the greatest yogi, one of the greatest masters of the inner heat yoga uh, Tibet's ever known. One, most, wrote some of the most beautiful practice manuals, most exacting uh, practice manuals from the six yogas tradition. One of his teachers, by the way, which isn't really known, uh, was the Karpa. So he was a great student of the Karpa. In his, in his age, that's likely where he received, he doesn't really say in his text, where he received the six yogas tradition. So Tsongkhapa. You know, do you know anything about Tsongkhapa? Great, great yogi. Tsongkhapa, um, Tsongkhapa had a student who eventually became the first Dalai Lama. But post, done post done. So, so by the time it was the second Dalai Lama, they realized that that first one was the first dialogue. So it was done that way. If you get my drift. Quote from Great Tsongkhapa. When the practitioner sees a fire or flood in a dream and becomes frightened, he should think to himself, recognizing the dream, quote, how can the fire and water of the dream ever harm me? End of quote. So actually thinking. Thinking, aware, how could how could I even be hurt if the lion eats me up, or pulls off an arm, or puts the head puts my head in their 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 jaws? And go, hmm? What's going to happen? Also, he should try to jump into the fire and cross the flood. What happens if you fall in the flood? Nothing. Wake up. Wake up. You'll live. Powerful yoga. To learn the illusory nature of dreams means to realize, and this is this is a beautiful, this man was so clear, by the way. This mind was pristinely clear. Wrote big treatises on things. To learn the illusory nature of dreams means to realize the non-existence. That means the emptiness. Be very careful with the translation of non not true existence, not real, permanent existence, of substantial existence, of vase and other objects of the dream vision. It's another way of cutting through the fixity that the lion's real, the fire's real, the vase is real, the house is real. You see? So you're in a house, you're in the middle of a dream, and all of a sudden it comes to you. This is an illusory house. You can see through the walls. You can walk through glass. This is really important to do. You can go right through the ceiling. You know, just, ooh, here we go. Right through the ceiling. You can practice that during the day, too. Just go go through ceilings and things like that. You think I'm joking? I'm not talking messy. People can see you, but mentally you can do that, for sure. Try it. Just try. Close your eyes and see if you can actually pass the wall back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Stand out on the lake and look back. All kinds of things. Good, Good training. This is accomplished by recognizing the dream. So this is what's important. While you're dreaming, recognize and say to yourself, this is a dream. So that's probably, I would recommend that as the first practice. 
I'm just giving it from my experience. That's probably one of the best places to start. Try as much as you can, say before you go to sleep and during the day, tonight I'm in, in dream, I'm going to be able to, to declare this is a dream. Wake up in the dream. Not, you don't have to wake up, but just wake up and go, this is a dream. Look around, this is a dream. That's the best place to start. Just like that. And if it doesn't happen the first night, you failed. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. It can take time. It might take weeks, but it might also happen in a few days. Who knows? It might happen tonight and then not happen for weeks. That happens. You get used to it. This is accomplished by recognizing the dream. You see, not by having lucid dreams, not by having far out dreams of Buddhas and all that, by recognizing the dream. That's the important statement. If you want good practice texts, well, there's lots of good ones. Sankapa. He was an amazing yogi. The man was one of the great, great, great yogis. And wrote great practice manuals, too, by the way. Many of them have never been translated. They're kept, just passed around. They're slowly getting translated. A lot of these practice manuals, these really by written by great yogis, they're just kind of handed out and not very many people see them. But more and more they're they're they're, they're getting out there. But one is not but one is not able, merely through the understanding, to realize the emptiness of substance of the dream. That's harder. So just just because you can go, this is a dream doesn't necessarily mean, just like in waking life, that you've re- recognized the empty nature of it. Because you're still calling it an object, a thing. Right? An existing thing. This is a dream. But it's a good place to start. Right? It's like saying, this is my mind. Oh, wait a minute. I have a mind. Or, oh, this feels like it's awareness. Good place to start again and again and again, but it's not the empty nature. Because why? You've made it into an object. Well, I'd rather that than not, (laughs) as a practice. But then we have to bust through my mind, my consciousness, my experience, my awareness. To what? Those are all uh, lasting uh, entities. Do you have a mind? Are you so sure you have a mind? How about when you say, my consciousness? Are you so sure you can find it? So here's a go. Go find your consciousness. Tell me if after examination for a month, if you can find that there's anything called consciousness. Should I make you bet? I can do, I'll make a lot of money. What kind of bet? Oh, I don't know. Shall we say like $10,000? Mm-hmm. You have to bring me back evidence. <laughs> In a cage. In a cage. A little bird cage. For instance, in the waking state, when one sees the reflection in a mirror, one knows that the reflection is illusory. Correct? Can we all do that? Can you all do that now? Look in the mirror. By the way, who, who looks in the mirror in this retreat? Any time? Brush your teeth? Comb your hair? Do you do that? But are you doing it? Are you taking that as a meditation going, what I experience is an illusory manifestation? This is a mirror reflecting images. You can start right now. I haven't got to the section on the mirror. You can start right now. When you look at a mirror or a 
or a pane of glass, does anything arise when you look when you look at yourself or somebody else? What arises? Do you ever have statements? Looking good today? Yeah. Looking tired? Looking haggard? Oh, look at my age. Looking a little younger? Oh, look at those uh, nostril hairs or something. Do you ever have dialogues? Okay, change it. What's the dialogue? What becomes the dialogue in completion stage yoga? Recognize the illusion that, that the image is in a mirror. This is an image. This is a reflection of, re, of, of something seen. Not the image itself, not the thing itself. Are you ready to do some mirror yoga? Tomorrow. I'll introduce it tomorrow. Very powerful. I'll, I'll give some readings from the illusory body section of the, of the six yogas. Very powerful yoga. Really, really good. For instance, in the waking state, when one sees the reflection in a mirror, one knows that the reflection is illusory. Do we all know that? But it isn't experienced that way. <laughs> because in the, in the half second that you look in the mirror, what are you doing? That's me. There's self-recognition. Isn't that cool? Mm-hmm. Or you go, that's the bathtub, that's the toothbrush, whatever it is, yes? And it's done in, in how fast? Less than, a, less than a second. Quarter of a second. Eighth of a second. So what do you have to do? Practice. You do. Practice. Recognition, just like in a dream. Recognition. Because normally you say, oh, that's me. Nope. What is it? Reflection. Reflection. Image. Appearing where? In the mirror. But where does it really appear? In the mind. In experience. Mirror is supreme. Moon and water, supreme. Mirror, supreme. Supreme. Supreme yoga. Supreme yoga. Fast. Fast, fast, fast. Matter of fact, I would say overall the mirror meditations on mirrors and mirror mirror-like completion stage yoga is one of the fastest, most direct ways to to really, really penetrate the empty nature of phenomena and self. Really quick. For instance, in the waking state, when one sees a reflection in a mirror, one knows the reflection is illusory. Yet one still cannot realize the nature of the reflection. What's the nature of the reflection? Empty of all defining characteristics. The mirror is empty of all defining characteristics, and the object that's reflecting it is empty of all defining characteristics. Why? Because the reflection and the mirror are identical in nature. There's no separation. Isn't that correct? Can you separate out the image from the mirror? What do you have to do? Take a hammer and go bang. Isn't that right? And what would René Marguerite do? He'd have all the pieces of the mirror sitting on the floor reflecting the same image that was there before. Right? In a, in a, in a Marguerite, to be, be, be there, right? Where is the image? Is it in the mirror? Can the mirror... Oh, I may as well just... Take care of that section too. Can the mirror? Can the mirror? 
I'll, I'll do more thorough. Can the mirror hold any image? Does the mirror? This is this is so direct. I mean, you just meditate on this. You should come to some uh, profound experience very quickly. Can a mirror ever hold an image? Does it ever cling to an image? Can I hear an answer? But how do you know this? You're going to have to look at the mirror and study it until you really feel it doesn't. Right? It holds the image of itself. But does it have a self? (laughs) What self? Where? Can you find a self in a mirror? Is there any self at all? Self-nature in a mirror? Go look at it. Where does the image occur in a mirror? Go look. Go right up to the mirror and go, where does the image occur? But your conceptual mind will go, oh, it must be in the uh, reflective backing, in the silver or the aluminum or whatever metal they use, right? But that's your conceptual mind going, well, it must be, oh, no, maybe it's in the glass. Oh, oh, maybe it actually is projected three inches in front. Does a mirror have a self? Let's see a show of hands. Mirror has a self, yes? Where, where's the mirror? Where is the self illuminating? Where, where, where is the consciousness in the mirror? Go find the consciousness in the mirror. Break it apart. Uh, cut it, dissect it, remove the backing. I, did you ever do that as a kid? I did. I tried to figure out how mirrors worked. I take the backing off, all kinds of things. I wanted to know where the reflection was inside the mirror as a kid. It was fascinating. Mirrors were fascinating to me. I love mirrors. So where does the appearance occur in the mind? In yourself? So so here's one here's one for you. Does it does it appear in yourself? Go go look for the image in yourself. See if you can find it. And then bring it back. Go bring back the evidence that there's a image existing in a self as about as foolish as an image existing in a mirror. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you said that, because I can make a lot of mileage out of this. It's really good. So you see, so you see how interesting, it's wonderful, isn't it? You see. That was an epiphany, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah good. Yeah, go work with that. Go work with that. It's good. It's good. It's good. Good meditation. So you see, even if you intellectually or even experientially know that the image in the mirror or in the dream is illusory, you're still caught over and over and over again until you find out the nature. What's the nature? And that's not through understanding, it's through non-conceptual experience. Otherwise, you're always going to go, oh, look, there I am. Oh, look, there, there I am. It's okay, you can use a mirror. Isn't that right? It's okay to use a mirror? What happens if you need to comb your hair? What happens if you need to comb your hair? What happens if you need to straighten the collar, do up a tie, um, maybe shave, brush your teeth, you know, whatever it is, okay? Are mirrors useful? Yes. Nothing wrong with that, is there? One, yet one still cannot realize the nature of the reflection. Now, here's something that Tsongkhapa says, which is kind of, kind of neat. One of the projects or activities of, in the dream yoga is eventually to travel to uh, Buddha lands, pure lands. It's in the text. 
different kinds of pure lands. Amitabha's pure land, Gandhan, uh, Sukhavati, all kinds of different pure lands, and see if you can actually experience what a pure land is like. Lotus blossoms, uh, jewel-like lotus blossoms giving off rays of light, uh, populated by Buddhas giving teachings of Dharma, um, celestial lakes, uh, wish-fulfilling trees, gems, uh, uh, all extraordinary, right? and, and very quick liberation. But it's interesting what Sankhapa said in this in the six yoga in the six uh, yogas in Europa. Quote: The pure realms experienced are mere reflections of the real thing. So even in a dream, whatever you experience, no matter how amazing it is, is still a reflection of the real thing. Now he's calling Buddha lands real things. It is not that easy to experience the actual pure dimensions. So if you're having thoughts and experiences of what's called pure dimensions, be very aware that that's a very, very high attainment to have what's called, what Tsongkhapa would call real experience of pure lands, the real thing. That means traveling to it, coming back with the riches of it. Okay. Now, he's saying in here, in this commentary, these ideas of Sankapa may well strike us as fantastic. After all, our experience seems to show that dreaming does not work like that. It doesn't work the way he's described it. Bizarre, a bit weird, takes you long for a ride, right? For most people. You wake up and you go, whoa, what was that? Okay, and you carry on your day. We cannot, we cannot choose what we would like to dream. Would you say that most people can choose what they want to dream about? No. Okay, that's the normal normal way in which most people experience dreams. It's okay. As we choose which film to watch at a cinema. So we can choose which film we want to watch at a cinema? Yes? Where did the idea come from? To watch the movie. Is there free choice? That's where I would disagree. Is there, is, is there a dreaming mind that's dreaming that you have free choice to make? The choice of which movie you watch? That's, that's out of... Here. We rather have to sit through whatever we are shown on the nocturnal screen without the op- opportunity of leaving early if we don't like the film. Is that the way it is for most people? Whatever the schedule is of the dreaming mind, we go through it. How often do we go, okay, by the way, that's another practice of the dream yoga, is go in the dream, let it go on for a while and go, okay, that's enough, end, pop, right up. Or, this is okay, wonderful, I'm glad we're having this uh, teleportation dream or, or uh, walking through buildings or whatever it is. Enough, very good. And what? The dream finished. End. Number stage two. That's a good one. Hmm? No matter how blissful, making the most beautiful celestial love, you know, whatever it is, whatever you got going, beautiful, beautiful, end it. End it. Walking on water, traveling to the sun and back while you're in the middle of space and, and getting back to Earth. Okay, nice dream. Lovely. Oh, that was good. Now, let's carry back on. I'm, I'm actually serious. This is very important for what? For what kind of practice? To do what? Non-clinging, Non-clinging awareness. Being able to wake up and be present in any kind of circumstances. 
and realize it is a mental figment driven by mind. Pleasurable, unpleasurable. Neutral, doesn't matter. Do what? Snap out of it. And recognize what it is. Empty phenomena. So in the case, what you asked, Slim, exactly the same thing. Snap out of it. As soon as the story starts, as soon as the spec, stop. Snap out of it. Just like a dream. Snap out of it. Nope. Right? Elaborating mind. Elaborating mind. Doesn't need it. Just snap right out of it. Go for the awakeness. Go and find awakeness. Nor can we make the supposed magical changes to the dream's content. That is, most beings can't. It's, it's an unusual, not, not normally, not considered to be common. We are, of course, able to make certain choices in our dream, as we usually are the main actor in this internal performance. To this extent, dreaming a dream is less like watching a film and more like playing a computer game. Inside the computer game? But we cannot do the magical action suggested in Naropa's dream yoga any more than we can carry them out when awake. Or at least this is what we would think. Now he goes on to show, yes, it's possible to do. And shows the laboratory evidence and different people who've done this kind of thing. So it turns out, you see, that while you're sleeping, you can actually indicate physiologically that you're sleeping. Because even though when there's dreaming, by the way, not, you know about dreaming and REM, rapid eye movement? You've heard about that? It was believed for years that dreaming only happens during rapid eye movement. That's not true. Dreaming also happens outside of rapid eye movement. But for many years, one of the discoveries in the 1960s was that during rapid eye movement, a person lucid dreaming can actually wink. See, so one way, because the body's paralyzed. I don't know if you know this. See, if the body isn't paralyzed while you're dreaming, you'll get up and run through a, through a glass window. Like if you're being chased by an animal and dreaming, you'll go flying through a glass window, you'll fall to the bed, you can really hurt yourself. So Has, that happens with sleepwalking and stuff? Yeah, sleepwalking, yeah. So sleepwalking is a, as a physical manifestation where the paralysis isn't at hold. Has anybody had the experience, or many times, during a dream where the body actually kicks, like actually goes whop. Yeah. That's because the paralysis, isn't being, paralysis is not being held. Okay, but normally the body is rigid. It's being, it's actually frozen. You can actually take a body, it's, it's not responsible. But what is, what, what's moving? The eyes. So you can put an electrode here, right here. You can put an electrode in here. And that way if a person's dreaming, and they're lucidly dreaming, they can tell you the dream by going like this and just making an intramuscular movement on the EG. So, so when the when you see the rapid eye movement sequence and the the right telltale sequence for dreaming in the EG, you can actually see the spike go dreaming. And so then they start to say, okay, well if you can dream, can you tell how long ten seconds goes for? So the person before they dream says, I'm going to tell you in the dream how long a 10-second interval is. Pretty cool, eh? So they can mark it. They, you can do that. We used to do that in the sleep lab for doing meditation, where in deep meditation, I use the intramuscular um, electrode 
to indicate different kinds of states uh, in very deep meditation where I couldn't move the body. So in other words, often in deep meditation, in absorption, you can't move the body at all. It won't move. You, there's nothing you can do. You can't move your mouth. You can't say anything. So the best way then is just to use this little tick of the eye, just to go like that. That that you can usually move, but nothing else. Body's quite immobilized. Now that's why people can set themselves on fire. Yeah, going to absorption. You've seen the movies maybe of you know of um, Vietnamese monks. Now they're doing it in Tibet. Different, different uh, monks and nuns are setting themselves alight to Tibet. Why? Uh, they're good meditative practitioners, go into a deep enough absorption, and that means when the kerosene gets lit, uh, they don't actually feel it. That's what happens. Is it considered uh, a good uh, thing to do? No. Okay. A little more, be- more before we finish for tonight. So not everything is immobilized in a dream. There are things, as Jamie said, uh, sleepwalking. There's other kinds of phenomena. What's, what's another phenomena that can happen? Talking. Talking in a dream? Any others? Where the, the body isn't fully uh, immobilized. Any others? Restless leg. Restless leg, yeah. Especially when, when um, young. I don't know if you still have it, but, but, but it usually goes, usually goes after a certain age. Any others? It was a very common one for males. Snoring. Males? Hmm? Snoring? <laughs> <laughs> erection. Yeah, erection, what else? Nocturnal emission. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Can you have males? Can you have, uh, on, on females, but, well, for males, because there's, there's evidence there, but also for me, females, can you have a orgasm in a dream, but no physical trace there's been an orgasm? Who's just speaking? You're not. No, I'm just. <laughs> I, I really like this. I like this too. It's been I can have a lot of fun. Yeah. Isn't that? Have you? Has that been experienced? Yes. Okay. So isn't that cool? So where does the organ orgasm happen? In the mind. Females, where does the orgasm happen? You know that better than most males, right? It happens where? Happens in the mind. Most guys don't know that. Yeah? It's in the mind. Does it happen physically? It appear- apparently feels that way, yes? That's strong, isn't it? So why is orgasm and sexual union used? It's really hard. It sure feels like it's in the body, doesn't it? It sure feels like it's happening to the body. Where does it happen? Dreams prove it. doesn't mean that something isn't leaked out of the body, right? <laughs> but the very, the very demonstration that there can be an orgasm without any fluid leakage, either by male or female, indicates what? Completely a mental process, full on exactly as would happen in uh, waking life. I suspect there's people who've written letters in dreams, right? Dreaming, and they've gotten up and written whole treatises or written uh, something on a piece of paper or studied. You know, you always talk about people put pillows under there. Let's talk about yogis who could actually put entire texts and at night while they're sleeping, read it. Yeah. So all, all the things that you learn, just disregard. That's why I got to disregard. Yeah. 
If you think of it, if you think it's possible, do it can be done. You have to think it's possible. Okay, I reserve uh, tomorrow for um, the rest of this. What we have to do is we need to talk. We need to have a little discussion together about how do we tell the difference between dreams and waking. Would most of you say there's a difference between dreaming and waking? Come on, let's be honest. Yes. 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 Dreams are dreams, and waking's waking, right? But why is it that in in Buddhist yogic texts they're always using dreams to say dreams are the same? They're fundamentally the same thing. Why? That's what we need to look at. That's where the dream practice is most important, is not doing far out things. It's not about that. It's about what? Cutting through this feeling that the dream is somehow substantially different than waking life. Dreaming, waking life is a dream. And we know that now. Shall we add it up? I I like to give the evidence. This isn't in books. This is my own take on it. Just, just to just to drive it in a different way, instead of these other philosophical or rational arguments. How about this? How often does a person daydream, which is a full-on dream? Hmm? A lot. What would you say percentage-wise? Shall I hear some numbers, or is it is it embarrassing? Sixty, fifty percent, forty percent, thirty percent. 80? Do I hear? Do I hear 80, 81? 81? 81? 81? Do I hear? Do I hear 82? Do I hear 82? Do I hear 82? Any other numbers? 95? 97? I've heard numbers as high as that. 97? People have estimated. Yep, almost all day long in some sort of fantasy, dialogue, daydreaming. A little bit of wakefulness, just there. So I don't know if you know that, but actually people go into REM during the day. You go rapid eye movement during the day and have sequences. So if you if you feel that you're going into like a, a major daydream episode, know it's actually probably rapid. You're, you're sleeping during the, even with your eyes open, you're sleeping, and you're actually in a rapid eye movement sequence during the day. It's just not as noticeable because you can be in a meeting. You see people do that in a meeting. And they're just sitting there like this, <laughs> and they're they're by Lake Attilan, sunning themselves on a balcony. Come out of it after you know 15 minutes. Oh, hi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Familiar? Okay. So add that up together. How about discursive think, discursive thoughts, which aren't necessarily so strong as a fantasy or daydream, but discursive thoughts. What would you say? Lots. Okay. And then, um, <laughs> is there anything left? No, I'm not really not nothing left. So, so. Uh, you know, you don't even need to go into these 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 really complicated, torturous arguments. You know, like in the in the uh, progressive stage of emptiness. Well, by the way, beautiful, by the way, and we need to do that. But really, uh, you just need to look at your daily life honestly with some mindfulness and realize, for most beings, it's actually a dream, just a dream. But because the sensory experience is so strong, it feels different than the night dream. But if you start really practicing at night, you're, you're going to see there's no distinction. Not because the world's fuzzy and it's bizarre. You know, it's, how about people's... You know, this is a common argument. I'm kind of getting into tomorrow tomorrow a bit, but it's a common argument. You see, dreams are bizarre, but the daily life isn't. 
I've always loved that one. I go, what? <laughs> yeah, dreams are, you know, like far out. You know, you get to fly. You get to go, like, you know, under the water. You get to do all kinds of things. We get in airplanes. Isn't that incredible? That they actually fly? What else do we do? We travel in cars. We take monies out of AT- we take money out of ATMs. Isn't that isn't that extraordinary? Like they just the ATM gives us money. It's really amazing. I always find it amazing in a country you know Guatemala. You put your card in. You, wow, there's money coming out. This is really good. This is really good. It's a good system. Hmm? What's that? If you're lucky, you get your card back. Yeah. If you're yeah, there's other things that can be done. Yeah. But just think of the things that we do, we take for granted that actually for someone 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, right, would be absolutely bizarre. People going to the moon, satellite systems, GPS, being able to actually navigate through a city with just GPS, unless, of course, it ends you up, as it's happened with people, in the river. Do you know people have driven in the river? The truck driver who was following... Uh, this was in Europe, I think. There's a truck driver who was solely... Fo- was it? Into the Rhine. Huh? Into the Rhine. Into the Rhine. Yeah. Drove a major freight truck into the Rhine, following the GPS, and just trusting the GPS, and went right into the Rhine. Oh, I've known people who've almost done that because they can't read maps. So they're actually following uh, the GPS so much, and they go, they're looking around going, they're in the forest, right? <laughs> And they don't know where to go because they can't they, they can't pull out the map or they don't have a map. And they're going, uh, uh, well, it must be right, except that the streets aren't right and the place isn't right. I won't say too much more. All right. So w- would you say that's true, that dreams are so bizarre, so different than what we do? We're just used to it, right? quite something. We do very bizarre things. Bungee jumping? <laughs> jumping out of airplanes? How, how about this? Something something that would be unheard of 150 years ago, 125 years ago. Surviving infection. Mm. Going to the hospital and having surgery. Heart transplant? Gallbladder out? Um, infected appendix? Putting a finger back on, you lose a finger, put it back on. Face transplant, right? Recent, there's been tra- face transplants. Um, not just reconstruction, whole 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 face tissue put back on, or put on. Um, artificial limbs, all kinds, right? So is that bizarre or what? How a heart transplant, uh, lung? I think there's single lung transplant, not whole lung. I think the single lung transplant, single lung, right? Kidneys, liver. Just wait, there's a head transplant. Just wait for that. I eh? think that's impossible. But that's not me. Maybe somebody. Who cares? Right? Take it off. Stick another head on. That'd be cool. Eh? I bet that will that will happen someday. Sure. Why not? As soon as they learn how to stitch uh, the uh, the uh, uh, spinal column together, why not? They're all working on that. Maybe with stem cell activity, you can just put the put the spinal column together. What's bizarre? So that's a, that, that argument doesn't hold, does it? So you can walk through a wall. But is, is walking through a wall any more interesting or bizarre than having a heart transplant 
or going to the moon or going to Mars or, or being able to navigate your way underwater in a submarine? How about flying from here, from, from here to Guatemala City? Is that, any, is that any more bizarre or weird than getting in a helicopter? Right? A helicopter? And being lifted up. Have you ever been in, have people been in a helicopter? Isn't that an amazing experience? And being taken there. Or how about this? Do you want to hear something really bizarre? You can be in, you can be in the Frankfurt airport one, one bit and then be on the other side of the world in a few short hours. Right? What would have taken how many how many years? Hmm. Or a year to do? Gotta go across Europe at the risk of your life. Get across Europe by horse and by by buggy and everything else or walk. And then maybe get to Southampton and catch a boat and survive a boat crossing across the Atlantic. And then you've got to make your way across Canada, which could take a year if you survive to get to Vancouver. What are we doing in now? Nine and a half hours. That's not bizarre? Isn't that something? <laughs> and we survive it? That's amazing. Uh, routinely. What's the, how many flights a day? How many flights a day on the planet? Oh boy. I think it's in the hundreds of thousands. It's amazing, isn't it? Unheard of. Unheard of a hundred years ago? Unheard of. People, I've even read in Scientific American, people will never be able to fly. Right? Go back to some of the early scientific journals. We'll never be able, you know, the Wright brothers or whoever it was is experimenting with flying and they're crashing all the time. And you read these scientific papers and say, man, we'll never be able to fly. This is a foolish activity. How about trains? Ever read some of the early reports of trains? People will die at that speed. And they're going 30 kilometers an hour, the first trains. <laughs> 30 kilometers an hour. And what are the scientists saying, some of them? People will die. It's too, it's physiologically too disrupting, and they'll die. Bizarre dreams. No, not at all. So I'll leave that there tonight. So now you have some some work to do tonight. Yeah. So don't get too complicated with uh, dream yoga practices. Or maybe some of you have had lots of teaching on this, but if you place your concentration before you go to sleep. Uh, in the throat, in the central channel of the throat, and visualize, unless it starts waking you up, be careful. <laughs> but if you visualize a red sphere of light inside, in here, inside, towards the spine, a little bit, well, there's not much room in there, but that far away, as a little sparkly sphere of red light, and just allow your mind to go into that, you'll draw the pranas, the chi or the uh, lung in Tibetan, into that area, which when you go to sleep, will program the uh, consciousness to go clearly into that area. All right. If you're practicing sleep yoga, we use light in the heart. So we, do it. we want to wake up, then we practice uh, head, forehead, or crown. Work in the crown. If we want uh, to unfold wisdom and deeper, deeper experience of apostolic wisdom, Mahamudra, we need to open the navel. That's the inner heat, inner, inner heat yoga. That's how it works. So this one is for dreams? For dreams. Yeah. 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 The clearer the the clearer the pranas can dissolve and enter into the uh, central channel at the at the neck is the greater stability of lucidity and wakefulness in dreams. That's how it works. So if you're having a hard time, 
That just means do more uh, practice in the throat. You can get very complicated about this. Visualizing seed syllables, uh, visualizing uh, red yadam, usually uh, red shenrezi yabyum, or galgyamso is the one that's usually used in the throat, uh, or a red dorji uh, palma, these kind of things. Uh, but don't have to. Don't have to. Not not this stage. That's for that's for more refinement. And then, of course, what do you do when you wake up? See if you can experience this. Not making imagination. Is there any difference between this right now and a dream? Can I find any difference at all? Why do I say that the waking experience is actually different than the dream experience? You have to examine it. Why, when you stand up and stand up, uh, maybe Jamie, you could you could uh, demonstrate stand, standing on the carpet because it's firm, or the wood the wood floor. Would you say that the wood floor is because we're awake? We're awake right now. Are we all awake? How do you know? How do you know you're not dreaming a dream? And and at night, that's when you're awake. But now is when the dream is. How, do you, how what evidence is there? Why? Because the dream. Life is a bit more bizarre and interrupted, but that may be actually normal waking life, and this is actually a dream. That's possible. Does it feel... Now, this is awake, right? Would you all agree that you're awake right now? Yes? Receiving a Dharma discourse? Jamie, is the floor underneath you? Because it was dream, the floor could just give way, right? You could fall through it? It is... Barry, don't touch that button. It's the trap door. Please. Yes. I don't know if I want him to have the button. Well, he might bump it. I think he might bump it with his elbow. But that's... Is, is, that the, is that the one for the shark tank or the one for the scorpion uh, tank? But anyways, so Jamie, does it feel... It should feel solid, correct? If, it's, if, it's, if you're awake, does it feel solid to you? Why does it feel solid? Okay, so that's it. I want you to try that. And especially when you wake up, get up out of bed and stand on the floor and say, why does it feel solid and in a dream it might not? Can you do that? Does it still feel solid? How do you know it feels solid? I don't know how I know. How do you know? That's what I want you to figure out. How do you know it's solid? Why is it you don't just... Pa- not, that, that gets into physics, but why not fall right through? But why does this now feel solid? When you touch things, it feels solid. Remember we talked about this morning? What we talked about this morning? Obstruction and solid. Is it obstructive or solid? Things, when you're awake, feel solid and real. What are they? And I want you to go examine this by actually touching things, smelling things, tasting things, and being very aware, and see what happens. Okay, I think that's plenty. You've got a yeah, that's a lot. These are big. This is big. This is like this is this is now lifetime practice. This is this is years and years and years and years practice. Imagine if you were to take three months or six months and do this every single day all day long. Mm. The accomplishment is amazing. It gets very deep.
It's very, very deep. And you're moving like a slug. Someone have to move quickly. <laughs> Any questions at all? <laughs> well, you might have to, right? It's true. Like when the, yeah. the trees are, are going over the cabin and there's actually large limbs falling down, you get out of the cabin. But then you realize, well, that's dangerous too. So actually the best place is kind of in the corner. I had that during the retreat. This the big windstorm, eh? And just pieces of limbs were falling down and actually hitting the, uh, the um, skylights. And I went for a bicycle ride in that. It was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, that was a really monstrous windstorm. And I, I decided I'm going for I'm not going to interrupt my bicycle ride. <laughs> I was getting hit by branches. It was really cool. Getting hit by branches. The roads were just littered. There's no traffic. The roads were just littered by branches all over the place, debris everywhere. And uh, when I came back, right right where I had um, been like a half an hour before, there was a branch like this, just right on the path. Boom. And one was cool. This was happened the windstorm, the first windstorm. The uh, branch for the, the big firs in front, you know those two big firs in the front of the cabin? Mm-hmm. A divot that deep right into the soil from a branch. So it, it's good. It just shows you, eh? Fragile. Nothing certain. Very fragile. Is that bizarre or what? It's as bizarre as the refrigerator. <laughs> I mean, that, you, want, you want to talk about bizarre dream? Go buy a Canadian, I won't tell you what the brand is because that's on tape. Well, there only is one brand, right? One Canadian brand. A propane refrigerator. And you see if it will work for you. For how long? Okay? And they're expensive. Just to let you know. So you want to know about dreams and meditation? Well, there's one. See what happens. Go buy yourself a propane refrigerator and see if, if, if it works. Or the way it's supposed to work. But normally you just stick a stick on the, make sure it stick on the valve. That was one week. That was Jamie's dream. Is that bizarre? Oh, that was really bizarre. <laughs> Learned all about propane fridge. Uh, okay, no questions? All good? Okay. Great. Let's uh, share the merit, the power of this activity. By this powerful activity, this punyakama, may it lead to the cessation of the delusions for all beings. Idante punyakamang asawaki wang ho tu. Idante punyakamang asawaki wang ho tu. Idante punyakamang asawaki wang ho tu. May all beings be healthy and happy, and may all beings be established in a continuum of freedom, the perfect union of wisdom and compassion. So just, you see now, just a final few more comments. The importance of the inner yogas, yes? Of the tantric yogas, is to bring about uh, chemical uh, changes that become very important for completion stage yogas. So sometimes the completion stage yogas become too intellectual, too dry, too brittle, don't, don't work all that well. That's when you practice more and more inner yoga, more and more idam yoga, right? Build up purification, build up strength, and then the, you find out that the Vipassana or the Mahamudra or the Dzogchen flows beautifully for a while. It's important to know.